So they made a huge part in Central America on a classified location uh -huh. before border control, before illegal immigration. Inside a lab where chemicals are manipulated uh -huh. is where we see Dr. Aiden. She's very concentrated. Mike, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being on tonight. Like the invitation, Joe. Okay, let's talk about the rat of the week. Why is Bear Corporation the rat of the week? Internal documents show that after this company positively, absolutely knew that they had a medication that was infected with the AIDS virus, they took the product off the market in the U.S. and then they dumped it in France, Europe, Asia, and Latin America. The medicine's called Factor 8. It was an, inject an injection medicine that was used for hemophiliacs, mostly children. Children had been born with an incurable disease. Hold on, hold on, Mike. So hold on, hold on. So you're yeah. telling me that Bear knew that this drug was infected with the AIDS virus. They yanked it from the market in America, and then they dumped it in markets overseas? They had to figure out a way, Joe, to make a profit on a product that they could not sell in America. So they made a huge profit. They jumped, they dropped the product in Japan, Spain, France. By the way, Joe, government officials in France that allowed that to happen actually had to go to prison for it. In America, not one corporate executive for this company has been indicted or even criminally investigated by our Justice Department. Why not? What, you're telling me that these people that dumped this AIDS-tainted blood in foreign countries yes. who killed children have not been have not been taken to task in the United it's, States. It, it's worse than that. The U.S. government allowed it to happen. The FDA allowed this to happen, and now the government is completely looking the other way. Thousands of innocent hemophiliacs have died from the AIDS virus, and not only they're dying, their family members are dying because they're becoming infected with the disease. This company knew absolutely that they had a problem with the product. They knew that, that it was infected with AIDS. They dumped it because they wanted to turn this disaster into a profit. Mike, Mike I, I want to read to you what Bear told the New York Times about this scandal. They said Bear behaved responsibly, ethically, and humanely. Decisions made nearly two decades ago were based on the best scientific information of the time and were consistent with the regulations in place. That sounds like a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo. Now, you say you have internal documents that show that they knew that this, this drug they were dumping was tainted with the AIDS drug the or the AIDS virus? The documents show that there was no question that this company absolutely understood the risk that they knew that it, was, that it was contaminated. It wasn't a possibility. They knew it was contaminated. Americans were dying from the product before it was pulled off the market. The only reason it was pulled, pulled off the market is because lawyers found the documents and showed it to the government. And finally, the government said, you can't sell it here. But then the government allowed them to dump it in Spain, France, and Japan. That's uh, amazing. Pretty, that, that's pretty, just amazing. Well, I, I, want, I, I want to read to you what the New York Times said. And this is an investigation that, they, that they, they also did. And they said the federal government was part of the problem. While the Food and Drug Administration told the company not to ship the drugs overseas, the man responsible for the drug supply, quote, asked that the issue be quietly solved without alerting the Congress, the med medical community, and the public. This is a cover-up, and our Congress is not doing anything. What should Americans do? Hey guys, sorry about that squeaky microphone. I hope that was a good entry so you guys can see what's up. We're going to be talking about what's up. So let's, uh, let's just uh, enjoy a little bit of a tune so that I can get my things ready. Uh, 
because I've been extremely, extremely busy this morning uh, doing a lot of things. And I found this really nice cover that I thought I could play for you and showcase a, a budding artist. Uh, <laughs> you guys, as all of you were saying in the chat, they never get held accountable. They never did. Now they are. You'll see. Hello there, it's me, Elon, and I'm just gonna steal a quick 20 seconds of this video to thank everyone who watches my videos. I just hit 2,000 subscribers, which is a lot for me, so thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna celebrate that by singing a song called Everybody Knows. It's originally by Leonard Cohen, but I'm gonna say Sigrid's version, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Everybody knows that the guys are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows that the war is over Everybody knows that the good guys lost Everybody knows the fire was fixed And the pores they poured The rich get richer That's how we go Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows that the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolate and a long stem Everybody knows Everybody knows that you love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do Everybody knows that you've been faithful Give um, or take a night or two Everybody knows you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet Without your clothes Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that it's now or never Everybody knows that it's me or you Everybody knows that you live forever uh, When you're down a line or two And everybody knows the deal is rotten Old Black Joe's still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. Everybody knows. 
Everybody knows that you're in trouble Everybody knows what you've been through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary To the beaches of Malibu Everybody knows it's coming apart Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows Everybody knows and that's true. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Every single person watching, which is the whole world, knows. So what do we do? So where are we right now as a people? That's a question that a lot of people want answered. And it doesn't seem like, you know, people have that encouragement. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, but more so, I wanted us to examine in ourselves what it is to have the ability to discern. See, at the moment right now, we are all kind of floored. We can't believe that this happened. It was so apparent. The fraud, the lies. But everybody does know. And that seems to infuriate people more. But right now, who's in the arena? Yesterday, I actually stepped away, left the house, went to um, like a, a, what is it, like a bar, I guess, or a restaurant within my building to sit down and actually have a drink and sit. And all the television sets were playing um you know, this event with fireworks and Tom Hanks was hosting it to so in your face just to aggravate you. Right now, the question is, are you in the arena or are you going to take a seat on the sidelines? Because the most horrible way to face your life is to face it with content and sneering. That's the worst way. It's like a a weird way of approaching your life with uh, some form of uh, twisted pride and cynicism. And what happens is, is that there's so many people out there uh, that confine themselves um, to what others want them to do, to the criticism that you receive. Because you know what they hate more? They hate people. Those types of people hate people that actually do things that they themselves would never dare to even attempt. They wouldn't even dare. That's the poorest way to face your life. There is no one as a human being more unhealthy, less worthy of respect than the person who actually holds or attempts to hold an attitude of disbelief toward Anything that's righteous, that's great, that's incredible for humanity. Anyone that sneers in disbelief toward all that, whether that be an achievement or in a noble effort, even if it fails, right, it comes second to any achievement, right? It's not who criticizes you. 
It's not the people that point things out or how a strong woman, man, or nation stumbles or where the doers could have done them better. It's not. The credit belongs to the people who are actually in the arena, who face everything oh, standing valiantly, striving. And it doesn't matter if they come short. It doesn't matter if they fail again and again, because in essence, we all know that there is no effort without making mistakes or no effort without falling short. This is something you should know because that is, those are the types of people that you're seeing all around you. But those that actually strive to do things who are enthusiastic, have great devotions to their nation, to themselves, to their family, who spends their every breath, every, every move, every statement they make for their cause, those are the best in the end. Those are the ones that triumph in achievement. And those who, at the worst, if they fail, at least fail while daring greatly. Now, don't take that as a message of failure. Our president did not fail. The operation did not fail. But the people did. The people did. So who dared? Who dared to be in that arena? Who tried to be in that arena? Those people that are in the arena now will never be those timid sideline watchers because they will know victory even if everyone else is cheering on their defeat out of disdain for not having the guts to do it. See, the majority of people have this feel that when they feel defeated, they start to hate those that do not take defeat as an option and persevere. They hate that. They simply hate that because it's like they're looking in the mirror. That's something that you need to understand. So this demoralization of the past year that you have undergone was exactly that. So that people do not have or even dare throw any support behind anything. Now, while many are sitting there saying, oh, he failed. Oh, he's a traitor. He left us. You have no idea who that man was. <laughs> and when it does come at the time, at the end of February, where you're going to be like, oh, wait a minute. This is actually quite, oh my gosh, like things are actually happening. Do you know who's going to be enjoying the actual happening? You are because you're doing it. You're doing your part. <laughs> This isn't an arena like in Rome where there's one gladiator. You can have one leader, but the army is what counts. Your general is what counts. So who's standing behind that general? Who's doing that? The fight that he had to fight. How many times over three years have I said, that man wakes up every morning and doesn't know if he can take a drink of water. There were so many people out there, good people, that tried to push and tried to pull, but he didn't have, well, 
even his best soldiers didn't follow in faith. They followed in clout or what they knew. See, in everybody's mind, they have boundaries. Boundaries to say what is true, what is false, what can be proven and what cannot. And even his biggest proponents failed to follow their gut. They failed to follow their gut. Now, without any help around him and people coming at him with logic, with reason, and reason is the advocate for self-preservation. Always. When you have to use reason, you're using your higher processes and you circumvent your gut, which if you learn to listen to carefully, never ever lets you down. On January 6th, the United States of America, people of the United States of America showed the world who really had control of the government. And that was the people. That was you. And that terrifies them. It terrifies them beyond belief. Now, I think it's important that we get reminded what it really means to be resilient. Because resilience is key. Resilience is your ability to take a battle on the chin and move forward for the war. Now, I've already said, I've seen the end of the story. I've seen the end of the story. Here's how you can probably see it too. You know when there's nothing left to do but to fight? With everything you've got to get back up. There's a word for it. Resilience. And that word comes down to such a simple test. Not much involved. But in the moments that matter most, it's everything. You and a mirror looking into your own eyes and realizing there's nowhere else to go but up. And being ready for what that takes. It's a single decision. The same decision you'll need to make every day. Get up. Get up. Get up. It's what brings people back when an injury makes it look to everyone else that all is lost. But it's not. It's what gets someone to write letter after letter after letter, looking for a job because they know all they need is a start. It's what causes someone to keep moving straight forward even when the start of their journey should have knocked them off track. You and Amir, same decision every day. Because the thing is that comebacks mean the damage is already done. Comebacks only happen after things get hard. It happened. And only you know how dark it gets. Resilience and grit. These aren't pretty words. They mean something much more to those who know them well. These words have scars. They symbolize the battle. But they are also the gateway to something so special. It's what it means to lose eight elections, be in bed for six months after a nervous breakdown, then to get up and do what it takes to enter the books of history. It's the power behind getting rejected 12 times before smashing almost every record and every ceiling imaginable. Resilience. That's the word left when the storms keep coming. When things go from bad to worse, every reason to stop trying. 
the moment we all get humbled by at some point, sometimes more than once, there are times for dreams. And sometimes there is only time for the reality of now. Picking up one foot, then the other. Starting to move forward step by step. Tears and frustration, another step. Hurt and sadness, another step. Shaking off what was, you just keep going. It's the light that finally breaks after the darkest of nights. In the moment that matters, you and the mirror. Same decision every day, knowing it's going to be long, knowing there is no other way. That is resilience. Now, while many of you are so disheartened, well, I thought this, look, there's a plan in place. Things have happened. You have seen the discrepancy, but here's the thing. How does it come to the surface when you have been working in the background for so long, so long? How do you bring it to the surface so people can see it? How can you bring it to the surface so that it can be everybody's reality, not just yours, not just in your head, in your mind? How do you bring it to fruition? Well, let's look at history. Let's talk about history. Let's talk about how Abraham Lincoln had everyone turn against him and was running underground. He was running underground. He was running underground. But what happened? The people got behind him while he was underground, while the whole world was burying him, while the queen had ensured that he was on his knees for his second term, but the people rallied behind him. Now, I did mention in September and October and November how fearful I was of anybody going out to D.C. to protest because of infiltration. I've been speaking about infiltration. All the words that I have typed, posted, dropped, tweeted, Facebook, spoken have all been hijacked and infiltrated and turned into things when they were right in front of you, plain and simple. History is written in concrete, usually by the hand that had the power at the time. So now, if you understand and you see that there's something amiss with what just happened, do you sit, wait, and twiddle your thumbs? When God gives you an opportunity and you don't take it, would you be angry with God? Whoa, you didn't just like put me in that seat. You didn't take my hand and write that letter. Are you going to get upset? So what you have to do is start listening to yourself. While many people will say, well, my God has tricked me. No, 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 no. Your gut spoke to you and then reason intervened and said, well, I don't know, maybe this. And that's where you weigh pros and cons. Your mind is programmed to enslave you. Your gut is divine. You must understand that. Reason is the advocate of self-preservation. Your mind, your reason is to help you with self-preservation. But once you realize, once you realize 
that your gut is the best voice you have, uh, then that's it. Now, uh, there was a compilation of Sun Tzu quotes on how to win life's battles. You're going to say, but we're fighting a battle. Well, I'm telling you, we already won. And that, that timeline, I kid you not, popped up even stronger this morning. And I was so excited. So excited. And the reason is, is because people are starting to see how what I've been saying. Be careful who you follow. They say beautiful things. They uh, tell you all these, they decode things. They tell you all these wonderful things. They tell you about all these new things that are happening. What has happened? What? But you know, you've had the OG right in front of you and didn't even realize it. And um, I know your gut tells you that. I know you're starting to see that. I mean, a lot of you are seeing that. And it's okay. It's okay. You know, actually, before we go to that, I want to show you our president and what he had said. Let me see. His top 10 rules. We did this, I think, a while back. I showed this to you and we walked through it. I want you to see your president and what his top 10 rules are. It may seem like you have no chance. It may seem like it's over. Never, ever quit. If you're a quitter, I hope you quit right now and stop watching immediately. And people that can handle pressure can be entrepreneurs, can be successful. He's an American businessman, politician, and 45th president of the United States of America. As of 2017, Forbes listed him as the 544th wealthiest person in the world with a net worth of $3.5 billion. His presidential campaign received unprecedented media coverage and international attention. He's Donald Trump, and here's my take on his top 10 rules for success, volume two. Rule number two is my personal favorite, and I'm curious if you grow which one you guys like the best. Also, guys, as you're watching, if you hear something that really resonates with you, please leave it down in the comments below, put quotes around it so other people can be inspired by your sharing. And also, when you write it down, you're much more likely to lock it in for yourself, too. What would be one word of advice you would have for an upcoming businessman? Um, knowledge. Knowledge. But if it's one word, one word is very hard for that, but the word is knowledge. But you get knowledge through experience. One of the things people talk about is luck. And I do believe that people are lucky and some people are luckier than others. I do believe that. But there's also an expression, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I can tell you 10 instances where I didn't quit when it was 1990, the world was coming down, the debt markets were to everybody. All of my friends and enemies were going bankrupt. I never did. And the, but try, I mean, the times were actually just terrible. And even today, you look at times and you see what happens and you have to learn. But the word luck is very interesting. But if I didn't work really hard, I probably would not, almost definitely would not be here today. And unless you had me up as a man who at one point was successful, but let's see what a loser looks like. So you have to work hard because it is true. You can develop luck through hard work. Your first book, The Art of the Deal, begins with a, a simple sentence that many people might find hard to understand. You say, I don't do it for the money. Can you explain that? 
Well, I do it because I love it. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. I have bad days. I have good days. I have days somewhere in the middle. But the end result is I love what I'm doing, and I don't do it for the money. And I make money because probably I'm not doing it for the money. I do it, and I do it well. I'm the biggest developer in New York. I love building buildings. I have a lot of fun building buildings. The fact is, I do it for fun. I do it for game. I do it for sport. I happen to make a lot of money doing it. If I didn't enjoy it, if I didn't really love what I'm doing, I wouldn't be successful. I wouldn't be sitting with you today. And what's the implication of that for someone watching this who wants to create greater wealth? What's the message in that, do you think? Well, the message is you have to love what you do. If you do it for the money alone, it's probably not going to work. I have friends where I tell them, get out of this business, which is a good business, and go into another business, which isn't as good a business, because they like the other business better. They'll do better in a less good business, so to speak, than they will in the better business because they like it. Going against the tide is great if it works. Now, it doesn't always work. And you really have to be smart to go against the tide because you're going against a lot of smart people. But when you get it right, you'll end up better, whether it's Microsoft or Google. I mean, so many people that have really hit big have gone against the tide. But you have to have great confidence in yourself. You have to be the right person. There are very few people that can pull it off. But when you pull it off, it's great. Same thing in real estate. You go against the tide. People are selling. You're buying. The tide changes. Never, ever give up. Just keep going forward. Never stop. It may seem like you have no chance. It may seem like it's over. Never, ever quit. If you're a quitter, I hope you quit right now and stop watching immediately because you'll never make it. Now, you own these incredible casinos and hotels uh, and the towers in New York City are going to build this uh, world's tallest building now in Television City. When is enough enough or, or will Donald Trump never be satisfied with the, the deal making and the acquisitions? Well, I'm like a lot of my friends from Houston. I just keep chugging. I mean, all you can do is just keep going. Life is uh, is sort of a pretty short experience and you have to maintain some kind of an equilibrium. And, and the way I maintain that is to work. And I enjoy what I do. I love what I do. And I hope I do it well. And so I just keep going forward, Dan, and it's uh, so far it's paid off. Are you smarter than most people who would call themselves entrepreneurs? Do you work harder? Well, what is the deal with you anyway? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me the question, am I smarter than other people? I think that without a certain innate intelligence and without a certain drive, you're not going to be successful. I have a friend who was not successful at all, but was really up and coming. And he had a thing. He would only fly first class. I'm not saying do this because for somebody it right. won't work, but he needed that mentally. Right. He wanted to fly first class because mentally he wanted to think he was the best and that's it. And even though he didn't have much money at the time, this is years ago, he would always fly. I used to criticize him, but it put him in a good state of mind and he yes. became a very, very successful guy. Yes. Very, very successful. Yes. And I, I've always remembered that. He would never fly coach. He would always fly first class, even though he didn't have the means to fly. So, look, it's complicated, but whatever it takes to train right. that. I've always believed in positive thinking. At the same time, I don't want to mislead. I also believe in aspiring, in terms of what you're doing, aspiring to protect against the downside. You can't just be this wonderful guy walking around, everything's positive because unfortunately that's not the way the world is. I love to tell people to think about the challenges so that when they do come along, you're ready. Let's suppose that I have a job. 
but I have the feeling that I want to start my own business. How would I know that I'm the right kind of person for the entrepreneurial life? To me, that's the best question you've asked, and it's also the toughest. Somebody has a family, has a job, they have a nice job, they get X dollars a week, they don't have to worry about very much, it's not going to be great, they're not going to live in Palm Beach, but you know what? They have a job, and it's income coming in. The hardest thing to do, in my opinion, in business, is to leave that job and become an entrepreneur, because you're risking your wealth, you're risking your family, your health, your family's health, you're really risking a lot. You have to know in your gut whether or not you have it to be an entrepreneur. Can you handle pressure? Can you handle all of the problems that you're going to be confronted with? And there'll be many, many problems. But the toughest job that somebody has, in my opinion, in business, is to know when to get out of something and when to go in something, because that's a very, very risky proposition. You know, when people ask me about success, I've just started thinking about it over the last couple of years because I've seen a lot of it. You have to have an ability to handle pressure because you, no matter how successful you are, I have many, many friends and enemies, a lot of enemies too, I don't care, but they're smart. I have a lot of enemies and I've watched people and I've seen it. And people that can handle pressure can be entrepreneurs, can be successful. Now I have some friends that are really, really smart, but they can't handle pressure. In which case they should work for somebody, do great, and have a good life. There's nothing wrong with it. Because I almost think that's an instinctive thing, the ability to handle pressure. Now, one of the things I tell people about pressure is, you know what? They said, how do you handle pressure? Who's had more pressure than me? Ay, ay, ay. Have I had pressure over the years? And, you know, I mean, I get criticized in my hair, but it's not so bad. And it's real. It's mine. You know it is my real hair. I mean, I get killed. I had an article recently that was so good. It was such a great article. And then I had one line, but he wears the worst hairpiece I've ever seen. I couldn't show the article to anybody, and it's not even true. But you have to have the ability to handle pressure. And if you can't handle pressure, you have to know that about yourself. You have to know that about yourself. So handle pressure if you can't. That's okay. But one of the things I tell people about handling pressure is remember, because they asked me the question, how do you handle the stress? And you know, somebody actually said, Donald, you're so handsome. Do you believe this? I love this person. <laughs> you're so handsome. How have you stayed so handsome under all this pressure? And I actually thought of it to myself. You have to remember. It doesn't matter. God matters. Your family matters. It doesn't matter. And if you say it, I have some people, they say, I've got to be successful. I've got to be. They'll never be successful. It's too crazy. They, they can't think straight. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you that was going crazy, standing up about your success, right? So you've got to handle <laughs> Now he's a little bit more low key. That's very good. I like that. We've calmed him down. So you've got to be able, you've got to be able to sort of say to yourself, nothing matters that much other than the real big deals. 
with family, with your faith, etc. People settle for mediocrity for one reason. They're lazy. I've seen it so often. People go into something, they don't want to go that extra step. They know it's not going to be great. It might be good. It might be okay. It's not going to be great. They settle for mediocrity. They're lazy. I have five children, but the three they're in business. And a lot of it's because of the success of The Apprentice, where they go on and people get to know Ivanka and Don and Eric. But a lot of that was early upbringing. I'd always say to them, no drugs, no alcohol, no cigarettes. And now I add for Baron, and I, I'd drive him crazy. I'd say every time they'd leave, no drugs, no alcohol, no cigarettes. Repeat after me. And I'd have to repeat. They'd go, Ivanka would go, Dad, will you leave me alone? but I drum it into their heads. And you know, you have to get back, you have to get through those artificial barriers. I call them artificial barriers because you can do something about it until it's too late. Once it's in your system, it's very hard to stop. Like I don't drink and it's very easy for me not to drink. I tell people, what are you drinking for? What are you drinking for? And they don't even understand what I'm saying. So because how, it's how, so how did you, uh, it, it, it's amazing when people see you, they can't imagine. No, no, no alcohol. Oh, would I be in trouble if I was a drinker? Uh, with no, my no, life. no, 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 no smoking. Yeah, no smoking. Well, I had and a brother. No drugs. I had a brother, Fred, who was sadly an alcoholic, a, a serious alcoholic, and he was the best-looking guy you've ever seen. Yeah, he was much older than you. He was much older. He was ten years older than me, eleven years older than me, and he was as good-looking a guy as you've ever seen. He were, he had everything going. The best personality. I have like a bad personality compared to Fred, but he started drinking, and he also smoked a lot. And but he he started drinking, and I think it started in college, frankly. But it got progressively worse, and he was really unable to stop. And he'd always tell me, "Don't you ever drink?" So he's much older than me, and it really has an impact, you know, when you have that kind of an age difference. But he'd point, "Don't you ever drink, and don't you ever smoke?" He'd add the smoking in because he smoked and he drank, and it hugely affected his health and hugely affected even his look and his, you know, the whole bearing. And every time he'd see me, he'd say, don't you ever drink and don't you? So I never drank. I, I mean, I really, when you talk about my father, I learned a lot from my father, but I learned a lot from my brother, Fred. And he set an example. It wasn't maybe the example that people would think, but it really was in its own way, an example. We met an adorable 10 year old girl named Megan. Now, Megan was born with brittle bone disease. Hi, Megan, my name's Donald, and you probably don't know me, but I was watching Maury's show the other day, and I must tell you, you really hit me right here. Uh, I think you are so beautiful, and both inside and out, I had a little something, a little gift that I gave to Maury, who's a friend of mine, and a very good golfer. Don't ever play him in golf, he's very, very good, believe me. And I gave him a little gift for you, and I hope you and your mother have a good time with it. And you're very special, and you just keep it up and keep up that attitude. So good luck, and you stay in touch. So, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, he has his name on more buildings in New York City than any other person. And besides that, he is one of the most generous people I know. And he wants you and your mom to have a very special check. And, and when we talk about Donald Trump, when we, he gives out checks, we're not talking chump change here. So look at that. Do you know how much that's for? 
Did you get all those zeros right? <laughs> Hi, Donald. Good. I really wanted to say thank, thank you very much. Bye. I told him that I thanked him, and he said, well, you're very welcome, and told me to keep up the good work. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'd love to know what did you think of this video? And in general, what do you think of the volume two series? Leave it down in the comments below. Also, I'd love to know what did you learn from this video that had the biggest impact on you? What did he say that resonated with you the most that you're going to immediately apply somehow to your life or to your business? Leave it down in the comments below. I'm super curious to find out. Finally, I want to give a quick shout out to Kelly Quinton. Kelly, thank you so much for picking up 10 copies of my book and sharing it with your friends. I really, really, really appreciate the support and I hope you all enjoy the read. So thank you guys again for watching. I believe in you. I hope you continue to believe in yourself and whatever your one word is. Much love. I'll see you soon. You have uh, an enormous skill with branding and marketing and rebranding. Um, what, what would you give as advice to small and medium-sized business owners uh, for branding and marketing? Well, the first thing is you have to have a good product. If you don't have the product, forget it. But assuming they have a really good product, you have to get the word out. You know, I know people that are better singers, more talented than Frank Sinatra. You'll never hear about them. I know one in particular, a person who really is talented, always practicing, always rehearsing. And yet, if the New York Times calls for an interview, no, no, no I don't, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. They're never ready. You got to get out and do it. Also, you have to sort of let the press know that you exist, getting good ratings on things. Like I have golf courses that have high ratings. And then once you get the ratings, you got to let people know you have the ratings. It's a long process and it takes a long time. It's really just a wonderful thing if you can have a mentor. Having a mentor makes a big difference in life. Now, you have to look around who's somebody that you aspire to be or to be like, but having a mentor is a wonderful thing. Something I do have to ask you is what's it like to wake up and be Donald Trump? Right? When you're shaving in the mirror and you're looking at yourself, you're an icon. What is that like? Well, I'm honored by your question, but I don't really think about it that way. I mean, I wake up and I do shave and I do use a mirror and all of that stuff. But, you know, I go to work. I'm in my office early. I leave late. I work hard. I employ a lot of people, lots of education, lots of everything I supply for people by giving them a check every week. Uh, lots of health care, frankly, and it makes me feel good. I know a lot of people where a couple of my employees, their wives have cancer and they're being well taken care of because they have a good program under the Trump organization. And I'm So why did I show you this? So there were 10 things that he uh, says that people should do. And I'm going to like fast forward to all of them so we can see them together, um, which are valuable. It's to create your own luck. <laughs> I came out with that right out of the gate, right? It's to create your own luck. I just thought I'd, I'd bring that up um, just to, for those watching and lurking. Now, so you create your own luck. You don't do it for the money. And if you do something for no money, then money comes to you. And that's because he even said it. If you're doing it out of love, you heard him say it, and not thinking about the money, that just seems to come to you because you're doing what's right. I know that sounds so dumb and so crazy, but it's so freaking true. 
go against the tide. When everyone is telling you no, you go ahead against the tide and just keep going. Change your mindset. If there's people out there giving you hopium, right, which gives you this false illusion that they know what they're talking about when the OG's right there, right here, talking to you, you need to change your mindset and focus on you. Protect against the downside. So how do you protect yourself from failing? That's the key. Well, the only way you protect yourself from failing is doing one thing, and that's being true to yourself and never surrendering. That's, that's the basis of how you succeed. And he's telling you this throughout the years. You have to be able to handle pressure. Now, uh, humans do like to be comfortable. And when they get out of their comfort zone, that's where reason kicks in. And that's where self-preservation kicks in. But I say it again, diamonds are made under pressure. Embrace pressure. Thrive on pressure. And never settle. Oh, Living healthy is important. Very important. I should not be the one talking about living healthy at all. Now, those obviously i'm i i'm already hindered physically um due to my health issue but huh i don't really help it by smoking like a chimney yet i enjoy it so i'm going to take a hard pass on it even though i advocate for it but i shouldn't be talking cuz i'm preaching what i'm not doing but living healthy is very important uh utilizing uh substances um I mean, you know, everything in moderation for me. But he says, don't. But the last thing he said was help others. Unity. Unity in all. When you can, you do it. So um, help others when you can. So those were his top 10 rules. Now, what have we been doing as a people? While everyone is sitting there, look at this video. This person is telling me, why are you waiting for someone to answer the question for you? You do understand that the whole world is telling you that you're the underdog. They're telling you you're the racist, you're a white supremacist, you're a terrorist. They're telling you this. Who's telling you this? This mass that was there on January 6th terrified the whole world. Why? Let's take a trip through history. Let's do part one now take a break for coffee. But I'm going to remind you of a time where there was another control of virus. And what happened with that control of virus. And yes, that happened. Uh, whew, I'm going to have to tell you that happened a very, 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 very long time ago. Seems like the crown has plans that they recycle. Like I've always said, trust the plan and it's not ours, it's theirs. And if you know your history, then you get it. Everybody already knows how this story ends. So take a listen to this. What caused the peasants' revolt? One explanation is the long-term impact of the Black Death, a deadly plague carried by rats that arrived in England in 1348 and killed up to half the population. Towns once packed with people were emptied of their inhabitants, and the plague spread so thickly that the living were hardly able to bury the dead. 
With up to half of the population dead, there were fewer people left to consume the available food and to work the land. This led to lower food prices and meant that those left to work could demand higher wages. The price of land also dropped, allowing ordinary people to buy their own land for the first time. Combined, these factors led to greater social mobility. However, the government and the nobility were opposed to this. They wanted to maintain the traditional ordering of society and keep ordinary people in their place. To do this, they turned to the law. In 1351, the Statute of Labourers fixed wages at pre-plague levels and tried to stop men and women moving to take up new and often better paid jobs elsewhere. If a labourer left his parish without permission, an arrest warrant was sent to every sheriff in England. If caught, he was to have the letter F burnt onto his forehead. Then, in 1363, the government introduced the sumptuary laws, dictating what you could wear based on your social class. For example, merchants were forbidden from wearing the same clothes as gentlemen. In the decades leading up to the Peasants' Revolt in 1381, the rising aspirations of ordinary people increasingly clashed with an oppressive government determined to turn back the clock. With social and political tensions rising, it took only attacks to spark rebellion. Well, that was part one. I think we should watch part two. What do you think? Huh, that sounds so familiar though, right? One tax started the whole thing, right? They wanted to uh, get rid of people, so they told them rats had this bacteria and the fleas on the rats did it. Now, don't get me wrong, globalization uh, aids in propelling diseases. People that are living in Mongolia, for example, have stronger immune system against local bacteria and fungus than those that live in France, right? That's true. But the introduction was weird. I mean, they had rats for a very long time. It just so happened that that one time it happened. Okay. Sure thing. In the summer of 1381, Essex and Kent erupted in rebellion. Contemporary chroniclers recalled how crowds assembled and began to clamor for liberty, planning to become the equals of their lords. These local revolts soon spread, culminating in the biggest popular uprising England had seen. But what made the people so angry? Tensions between the commons and the nobility had been increasing for some time, but it was the poll taxes of 1377 to 1381 which were the catalyst for this uprising. Raised to fund the king's foreign wars, the money failed to deliver military success. In 1377, a fleet of French ships attacked and burnt towns along the south coast, and popular resentment grew. Even with this money, the king was unable to protect his subjects from foreign raids. The first poll tax was levied at a flat rate of one groat per person, regardless of an individual's wealth. This equated to about two days' work for the average labourer. The second, granted in 1379, had a sliding scale, but the poor still had to make a contribution. However, it was the third poll tax, granted in 1381, which caused the most problems. This was once again at a flat rate, but at a much higher rate of three groats per person, equating to about two weeks of work for a labourer. Not only were these taxes unfair, but people resented that they had failed to produce a successful military campaign. Tax evasion became endemic. Official records show that between the first poll tax in 1377 and the third poll tax in 1381, as many as 450,000 taxpayers disappeared from the records. When this tax didn't raise as much money as King Richard II expected, he dispatched representatives to find out what was going on and to collect the outstanding sums. This was when the trouble started. Okay, interesting, isn't it? So basically, uh, it all started with two simple states. Huh? 
Essex and Kent. They got angry, and then the rest of England followed. You see? See, history has a tendency to repeat itself. But when you have history as a template, and you see the application of the same MO, and you already know what was successful and what was not, then so be it. So let's do part three. The Peasants' Revolt, sparked in part by unpopular poll taxes, was the first time that the people of England rose up against their king, leading to swift and brutal reprisals. One chronicler describes how new gallows appeared across England, since existing ones were too few for the bodies of the condemned. Even religious men, such as the priest John Ball, who had in part incited rebellion, were hunted down and executed. After the revolt, there was no doubt who really held power in England. More commonly known as the Peasants' Revolt, the uprising included far more than just the peasants. Artisans, craftsmen, village leaders, and members of the church all joined what can be described as the Great Revolt. So you mean it wasn't just those in poverty, the average man, it was the business owners, right? Your church leaders, right? Some of your scholars and teachers that would see and join. <laughs> Sounds so familiar if you apply it with two centuries on top. Its significance therefore lies not in just its scale, but in the support it gathered across the social classes, arguably making it the beginning of English political consciousness. The events of 1381 were mirrored across Europe. Popular uprisings occurred in France, Germany and Hungary, and again in England in 1450. Wait, so you're saying that one state, well two, first it was um, Essex and Kent. Well, I mean, they're, they're neighbors, so whatever. So that state, let's say it a state, uh, uprised and they created a movement that spread globally, uh, right? Huh. The whole world is watching. The whole world. Led by Jack Cade. What these uprisings had in common was anger at corrupt ministers, expensive and unsuccessful foreign wars, and through vindictive laws, the crushing of ordinary people's aspirations. The Great Revolt was also significant in sowing the seeds of Richard II's distrust of the people and his nobles. They had failed to prevent the rebellion, which had led to the assault of the king's mother and the murder of Archbishop Sudbury. Tyranny followed. Richard heavily taxed his nobles and potential dissenters were banished and murdered. Trusting no one, Richard became isolated hated, and was deposed by his own cousin and left to starve to death in Pontefract Castle. So the reason that Richard was able to become a tyrant is because he knew the leader of the movement and who was behind it. So while everyone is sitting there saying, we've been abandoned, we stop. Start reading between the lines. Pretend this is the Underground Railroad. Who are the people in the railroad? You are. Pay attention. History has been repeated throughout time like no other, keeping mankind in a perpetual state, always advancing one inch, one inch, one inch. Blood does not have to shed. This can be done correctly, openly. The world is watching. Oh, and one thing. For those of you that like history, when Ohio was created as a state, 
you should see where that state, where the foundations of that state derive from. While many of you are like, oh, Essex County, Kent, you know, no, no, no. We don't use, we have counties within our states. But when you're in England, every county is viewed as a state. Uh, you know, pay attention to the verbiage used. The Great Revolt also played a part in the end of feudalism, a key demand of the rebels. But it wasn't the only factor. The Black Death had recently decimated the population, giving surviving peasants more bargaining power. While it would take over 100 years for feudalism to formally end, increasingly peasants could choose where they worked and on what terms. The poll taxes of 1377 to 1381, a key factor in the uprising, also had a longer-term significance. So poisonous were the taxes in popular memory that it would not be until 1989 that a government would attempt a similar tax. Margaret Thatcher's community charge was derided as a new poll tax and ignited protests across the country and riots in London. So that tells you what? It tells you that control of viruses, pandemics have been used in the past to control the population. And when the population was minimized, the problem that they had is that they couldn't keep people in their place. Know your place, know your place. That is one of their favorite statements, favorite statements. So uh, I thought we would take a break. And for those of you that missed our uh, entertainment in the earlier part of the show, I will um, play that for you so you can see how important some, well, no, we're not going to go back to that. You could do that on your own. We'll have another tune for this intermission, uh, which I like and has great lyrics. And I found it with lyrics so that you can watch it while we grab that coffee. See you in just a bit. No Democrat and by far I'm no Republican This the type of talk that'll probably piss off my publicist And I ain't even started the water, ain't even bubbling uh, The type of talk that'll probably give me in trouble with the law Or make the government come after me in public Won't hear this on the radio, this here is not for publishing This ain't that bump of shit, no, this ain't that double me uh, Consider this a risk, I swear I see them building pyramids brick by brick They'll aim at anyone bold enough to go against the shit You don't believe me, look what happened to the Dixie Chicks uh, it's like nobody else complains Till you try to be more than a nigga would a chain You've already told you they corrupted everything And we just out here trying to function, trying to maintain A uh, hundred miles an hour running when I hit the ground Thoughts moving through my head at the speed of sound I pray, I pray, I pray, my prayers make it through the cloud I pray in heaven, make them fucking niggas ain't allowed A hundred miles an hour running when I hit the ground All right, so welcome back everybody so as you can see, that song was from 2013, where he was telling you about your phone spying on you, where he was telling you about the watchers, where he was telling you everything. And while many of you were like, oh my gosh, this is like rap. You need to be paying attention to the words. Messengers come in different forms. Messengers tell you what is happening in different ways. So it's important that we pay attention when people speak. 
I have told you about how the agency uses uh, Hollywood and uh, the music industry and uh, the literacy, <laughs> the book industry, let's say, uh, to put out their narrative. But there's always those people that are there giving them the counter narrative. And I've said it many times before. I've written a lot of things in a pen name. I guess no one's really paying attention. Now, the one thing that um, a lot of people are concerned about is uh, what is being said and what is, it, what is coming? What has been done? What are we going to do? What do you mean, what are you going to do? Are you waiting for some knight in shining armor to come save you? Don't you get it that he was giving you the power back? It's just that you sat and <laughs> decided, well, everybody's got it under control. Oh, yes, there's a team. It's mobilizing. It's been mobilized. And it was infiltrated, too. See, uh, I, I see a lot, you know, now that the, the Telegram chat group has so many. And I'm pretty sure the moderators and people that have been there from the get-go have noticed that there's a lot of infiltration. A lot of people that are just watching, lurking, collecting, regurgitating. And I've said this before, um, infiltration is one of the uh, biggest issues anyone has. They will tell you all the nice things. And I can tell you a lot of the things that I've started were hijacked. And I was told by many people, many, many people that I find important to me, and many of you find them, Tori, it's been infiltrated. Just no. Huh. But you already know that it's infiltrated and you can't control the infiltration. That's the beauty of it. You let it be infiltrated because that helps you pull all the pants down. That helps you identify the counterintelligence assets. You allow them to hijack. You allow them to enter and post. You allow them to be glorified by the people. You allow them to be thumped by the people because then huh, those that you believed were on your side are no longer on your side. And it has to be that way. I can't sit there and give you a list of every single traitor, their IP address, and tell you, you know, this person hijacked that. Oh, and that person was moderating or controlling that or uh, sustaining that or running that or doing that, and they are all traitors. I am not going to line them up for you because that doesn't help you. That doesn't help you. Oh, but it would save me. I wouldn't have bought their gold or I wouldn't have bought this or I would have supported them. Yeah. But if you didn't support them and then realize what side they sat on, you would never know how to identify that again in the future. That's the way it goes. That's exactly how it goes. You have to see it. You have to be able to see it yourself. I mean, you're seeing it now in front of you. So many people suddenly changing their tune. They changed their tune and then they changed it again. You see where it's coming from. You see what their, um, air quote, brand is. So many that were so wise and gave you so much. Look at me. I'm doing this. Look at me. I got this person to speak. Let me tell you something. Everybody thinks that because everybody's saying it, that it's true. And everybody thinks that because everyone is thumping them, that they're good. See, 
That's how it is. You have to be very careful. I said, find your still in the chaos. Allow the winds to be whirling around you. If you want to go down rabbit holes and listen to different people, so-called prophets, coders, whatever you want to call them, right? Take a step back. Look down from the moon and say, well, hold on a second. Many of you have seen them put out messages. I know you guys are angry, but no, no, but what's Donald Trump's second rule? Don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the money. Because it'll come to you if you're doing it the right way. Gosh, I hate saying that. I hate saying that because I need everybody's support. <laughs> Thinking about where we're at right now, it gets me really excited, actually. Really, really excited. Because there's so many of you ready. So many of you that get it. So many of you that now, re-listening to what your president was saying all along, makes sense. The things that I would say, hey, he's telling you this, you know, but your decoders or your prophets or, you know, uh, whatever, who had thousands of followers or who was actually active in doing things and knew best, you know, because we've lost the ability to listen to our gut and what makes sense. Again, because reason talks you out of everything everything. And, and I've stated this example many times, and I'm going to state it again. In December of 2019, about almost two weeks before Christmas, a tragedy descended on my personal life. And I didn't, I didn't think of, you know, what am I going to do? I, 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 I was, but I wasn't. I was more so stuck that for about a week, I didn't even know what day it was. All I did was wail, and I've never wailed in my life, and, and cried, and uh, I was in such a bad place. I had no idea if I was coming or going. Have I eaten? I, I mean, I can't even express to you the chaos um, that I was going through. And um, I had three friends uh, well, actually, it was more. It was more. But they kept me grounded by not discussing what I was going through and helping me compartmentalize, um, you know, to be able to function. Just focus on your work. All they did was talk about work. You guys have no idea. Like, uh, well, one day when I feel comfortable, I may, but it's not really all my story to tell, so I can't. But I can tell you from my perspective. I was so shocked. That on the same day that my, this is how the shadow net works actually. On the same day that my life was being torn apart, I was served by Obama's former White House attorneys on two separate issues. At the same, on the same day, on the same day. So while my friends kept me sane by distracting me for four hours of the day, to focus on my radio show, what was going on, putting things together. 
I was trying to find remedies, solutions to my issues. I, it was just me with $2.22 in my pocket, no joke. And I didn't know what I was going to do because I, you know, I was like, damn, I didn't think about that. I just did it. I didn't think about that. I should have planned it. I should have, but I didn't because that's not what you do in, in a hard situation. You, you react the way you're supposed to react. And um, every time that I would come up with a solution, there would be a roadblock right there. And it wasn't until I decided, you know what, I'm just not going to focus on a solution. And the solution is just going to come. <laughs> and I remember telling two of my friends that. And they were like, well, let's see what we can do to help. And I was like, no, um, I'll, it, it's going to happen. It's going to be just fine. I just have to just, it'll just happen. It'll just fall in my lap. Everything will be just fine. And it did. Um, it did because I decided I'm going to be pushing through. I'm going to keep going like nothing's wrong. And I've got the biggest freaking umbrella. I've got wellies to, <laughs> to wade through the storm in the swamp and it's going to be just fine. And it took about 30 days. Um, so it was the 20th of December that I, I, decided, all right. And then things just started to manifest out of nowhere. And um, I realized that was it. I had found my still in a storm that normally someone would be blowing their brains out in. I kid you not. And I'm not overstating this. I'm not being dramatic. I'm being dead serious. Um, <clears throat> and like any other person, when you're struggling with something, you know, you that thought does go through your mind when you're just like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. So, you know, you always have that, I, I just want to give up. And it was that point that I was like, you know, I'm not Atlas, but I was. And all of you are. Because I found still in the chaos, like everything, anything that could have gone wrong happened. Everything that could have gone wrong happened. And even though I had been under pressure for years before that, outing all these rats, them figuring out who I was, coming for me in all different shapes or forms, I realized, you know, I was like, you know, Father, I'm done. Like, just take me home. I'm like super done. But all of you are like Atlas. We can carry the planet on our back easily, no matter how hard the task may seem, no matter how everything seems to be going against you, be that dude in that gif with the flag, with the American flag. You know which one I'm talking about, where it's like a hurricane and he's holding a flag against the wind. It actually does work. You should never, ever, ever, ever give up. And that is resiliency. Resiliency of mankind that I've realized um, exists. Humans are so resilient and they have no idea how many times they've persevered through time. Through time, they've persevered. And there's actually a science behind it. Did you know that? So you know Jeffrey Epstein dumped a, a lot of money, a lot of money into Harvard. Specifically the center... Um, was it called the, the center of the developing child? And that's because he dropped a lot of money 
into artificial intelligence and developing the human mind as they wished. Uh, experimentation, we've talked about that many times before. But what's interesting is that there's a science of resilience that um, he dropped a lot of money into. And Harvard actually had this on. So I want to play this for you. So you can understand how well they know you and how well you don't realize, well, how well you don't know yourself. Resilience is the result of a highly interactive process between individual characteristics in the person and the environment in which that individual has developed. It's really the counterbalancing of difficult things that may exist in the child's life with positive things that occur within the family, but even positive things that may exist in the community. The easy way of thinking about resilience is like a, a scale um, with a fulcrum in the, in the middle of it. And there are things on both sides of that scale, experiences of both bad things or good things. Our genes shape where the fulcrum is positioned at the start. There are certain genes that make a child more sensitive to the effects of maltreatment or parental neglect or witnessing violence. The fulcrum may start out kind of more towards one side or more towards the other side. And that's going to make a big difference in terms of how much these subsequent events affect things positively or negatively. Science tells us that experience moves the fulcrum for better or for worse. Even though we are born with genes, genes will respond differently to certain environmental situations as opposed to others. What the genes are actually doing are turning up or turning down the expression of chemicals in circuits in the brain and the circuitry in the entire body that, that govern our responses to stress, to anxiety, to depressive symptoms. When positive experiences accumulate and children learn coping skills that help them to manage stress, the fulcrum can slide so the scale tilts toward positive outcomes more easily. That's what resilience is all about. There's always an adult, or more than one adult, who is key to providing that relationship that helps to build resilience. So that was a, a simple thing of uh, Harvard uh, discussing the science of disappointment, basically, but it was resilience. And the reason that I showed you that is because genetics plays a key role on um, how we handle stresses. Uh, obviously, there's the environmental factor, like they said, but um, it actually uh, indicates that someone that is predisposed genetically uh, to be more sensitive to positive outcomes uh, is able to deal with stress better. And then people that are predisposed genetically, we're not talking environmentally like, oh, you were raised in the project, so you're going to be a loser, right? We're talking genetics. Um, they can then be more sensitive to negative impact, like the teeter-totter, you know, is unbalanced, right? So there's a bi biology uh, to it. It's molecular programming. Now, like any program on your computer, it can be reprogrammed. And the way you reprogram it is by outlook. 
because we, our brains are plastic and they create these connections. These connections for us to be able to see uh, fact from fiction and to be able to discern uh, things that are not just happenstance, happenstance. Like how many times do we see coincidences? So here's a coincidence that I thought I would share. Um, it was quite interesting uh, because someone actually brought it to my attention. I was like, dang, I love it that people pay attention. So I'm going to um, take a book, a book that many people have read many, many times. And kind of like the agency infiltrating, uh, you know, Hollywood, the music industry in the past, uh, in, in, in for today, there's always a counter group that counters what the agency wants you to know. Those movies like Wag the Dog, like what a great movie, but everybody's forgotten about it. Or Eyes Wide Shut, not nah, a great movie, but everybody's forgotten. Like who let that out? Uh, it's because there's some people that can write things or some books and stories that you're just like, wait a minute, why would they let this go? Why would they have that there? Because there's always a measure to countermeasure. Same thing from the past. I want you to, to, to take a look at certain passages um, that I'm going to take you to, Genesis 18. So Genesis 18. So let's go to 10. And he said, I will certainly, it's Genesis 18, 10. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee to the time of life. And I, O Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed with herself saying, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old so? And the Lord said to Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surety bear a child, which I'm old? So, you know, he's telling her you're going to have a child, even though you're past your prime, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the time appointed? I will return on to thee according to the time of my life. Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied saying, I laugh not for she was afraid. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. She says, oh, I wasn't like, you know, mocking her, saying it's not true. I was just a little bit, you know, taken back, right? Um, he's like, no, you laughed. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them, went to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham uh, shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. So here's where it's going to get uh, a little bit confusing for a lot of you. You're going to be like, wait a minute, how, how's, how's that happening? So that's up to 18. Now we're going to jump to 26. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. So if 50 people are righteous within the city, then I'll spare them. And Abraham answered and said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which I am but dust and ashes. 
Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there are forty-five, I will not destroy it. So that was Genesis 18:28. If I find there are 45, I will not destroy it. It was interesting because a few people that I know uh, saw that. And I was impressed. What people need to understand is that we're learning every day to see things that we cannot see. And it's important for us to be able to look into history and five and find and find and find how things have been written. So there would be a lack of destruction if there were so many. So now think of that and remember this, which is pretty cray-cray considering that the Chinese were promoting this. This is on a Chinese channel. And I want you guys to watch and listen. Over the course of your life, you will find that things are not always fair. You will find that things happen to you that you do not deserve and that are not always warranted. But you have to put your head down and fight, fight, fight. Never, ever, ever give up. Don't give in, don't back down, and never stop doing what you know is right. Nothing worth doing ever, ever, ever can be easy. And the more righteous your fight, the more opposition that you will face. In your hearts are inscribed the values of service, sacrifice, and devotion. Now you must go forth into the world and turn your hopes and dreams into action. America has always been the land of dreams because America is a nation of true believers. When the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, they prayed. When the founders wrote the Declaration of, of Independence, they invoked our creator four times. Because in America, we don't worship government, we worship God. It is why our currency proudly declares, in God we trust. And it's why we proudly proclaim that we are one nation under God. The more that a broken system tells you that you're wrong, the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing ahead. As long as you have pride in your beliefs, courage in your convictions, and faith in your God, then you will not fail. And as long as America remains true to its values, loyal to its citizens, and devoted to its creator, then our best days are yet to come. And that's a Chinese begging us to fix this. <laughs> Chinese citizens are begging us to fix this. I sometimes feel that, you know, they're all taunting me. 
again, I'm going to say, no one's going to say, oh, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. How many times have I told you you're watching the Hunger Games? And here they are making sure <laughs> that they point it out. Now, I've said this for three years, and I meant that because I wanted you guys to remember that. I wanted you to remember that I told you, and you were not listening. Though I said it in passing, I wanted to plant that seed so when the water comes, it sprouts. Can you see what I've been saying? There is not one time that I didn't say, and sometimes I would forget the name of the movie. <laughs> you know, be like, what's that called? with the sections and the factions and you're going to be like this, this is exactly what the UN plan is. And I've been saying that. And you know, Team America made sure to convey that message to those that mattered in November. They know, we know. And what's going on now? Can you see it? I've said this, yet deaf ears. No, ears that just don't hear that frequency yet. So hopefully you can hear me now. This was expected. They've already told you. You need to see. They've been planting their seeds for you to accept things. The purge. You think that's happenstance? You see that? Oh, oh it was a thing, a dove with an olive branch. Stop. You just didn't want it so blatant, didn't you? This is exactly what they wanted you to see. They have been planting the seeds, just as I have, to warn. This is exactly what I've been saying for three years. Hunger Games. Huh. So if you start from the Hunger Games, you'll get it. Now, draining the swamp, purging the swamp. Man. I've been warning of the time that that is going to come. And I was very sad in December when I saw how the fixed point in time was rerouted. And that's because of people that may have knowingly and willingly, or just being selfish and being self-preservationists, started pushing narratives. I mean, you need to pay attention. Months ago. Think of August. Think of when Millie Weaver was arrested. How suddenly there was a rift in this bonded movement. Because people that shouldn't have known who, what, when, where started to. And what terrified them was, because they didn't have full knowledge, well, what if people start listening to them? Not Millie or me, just in general to them. Let's keep it, keep it generalized then we will lose our following. And then while many found themselves righteous to be silenced, think, look at who replaced certain voices. Look at who moved in. And yet many of them were embraced. Many of them were embraced. Pay attention. If you stand back and look at the events for the past six months, you will see exactly what was happening. I can tell you that on the Friday when Millie was arrested and her husband and her brother, I said to my, to my family, oh, this is so not good. And I knew what was coming for me. 
I hated it because I knew, you know, it's kind of like what, what did President Trump say? Things are just not fair sometimes. And that's the way it is. But after she was released, were you paying attention? Where we were, where, where our own administration was talking about the shadows. Where our president said, I don't want to set the world on fire, but small things to keep people going, to be able to guide. Because if people stopped waiting for someone to spell things out, but stood back, they would be able to be more aware of what's happening today. So it's important that we remember that. It's important that we remember he's been walking with us every step of the way, pointing it out. Now, we've talked about censorship before, and not just censorship by people saying, don't follow this person, or I don't like this person, right? Because I could do that. I could actually drop evidence with IPs and tell you, you know, you're following this person, and she, here you go, here's a list. This is their secret chats, right? Here's who they speak with. Here's how they're being funded. Here's all the people that are following them. Here, here's a list. Take it. It's not fair. Because then you will never see it. You'll be waiting for someone to save you and give you that information. Oh, man, I could have done that in 2018 when my thing was hijacked. I could have said, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. But then you wouldn't grow you wouldn't be able to see, and you probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> you know, I said it wasn't about dividing. And it's not about that. And yes, I want them all hung by their toes. I want every single thing they did to the people, swaying them in directions that they shouldn't have. Damn, I so want to be mean. But I have to not allow that side of me to come out. Because I, I get all your emails, I get all your state, you know, and I can't respond to some of them because it, um, it makes me be mean and I don't like being mean. That was something I was trained for. Kind of like Patrick says, you were trained to do this. Take that hat off. That's not you. Take it off. And he's, <laughs> he's so right sometimes. But you know who wants to silence you? The people that have everything to hide. And Chris said it best. America's foreign policy will now be run out of Beijing and Tehran, as it was in Obama's first two terms. Tonight, KT McFarlane and Fred Flights, they are here to sound the alarm on the reinstituting of a foreign policy that has failed so spectacularly in the past. And back here at home, the socialists have once again put their hands around the throat of America. The job of we the people, as I see it, is to make sure they are not successful at choking out the American values that we all used to share, the dignity of work, freedom of religion, economic freedom, and of course, freedom of speech. With the socialist sweep of Washington, all of those fundamental American ideals, well, these ideals that we've taken for granted, they are now under legitimate threat. Leaders in the GOP are signaling they are not into fighting that threat, rather they seek to surrender to it Many of them are calling on you to do the same under the banner of coming together, a collectivist banner. 
We'll ask two members of the GOP how they will protect their constituents from the ravages that are sure to come from an American government that is now run by the radical left. And Dick Morris will be here to lay out the political landscape as America returns to the failed Obama years. Meanwhile, the effort to silence voices of that dissent from left-wing extremists, that those efforts continue. Censorship is undertaken by those who know they're doing wrong. That's the reality we dispense in tonight's preamble. One of the Salcedo Show's axiom states, the liberals project qualities onto others that they themselves have in abundance. It's true. Throughout history, small-minded leftists have sought to diminish people they sought to exterminate or enslave. Today's modern left is no different. They falsely accused President Trump and we conservatives of being racists and fascists. They did so to justify, for example, months of arson, looting, and killing of innocent people. Their actions and statements revealed their hatred of, of whites. Freedom of speech, the free market, also on their hate list. In essence, liberal socialists revealed it was they who were actually guilty of the sins of which they were accusing others. If you think that socialist Democrats are ashamed of the violence they dished out over most of 2020, think again. During the campaign, if you went to Antifa.com, you were taken to the Harris-Biden campaign page. Now, if you type in Antifa.com, it takes you to WhiteHouse.gov. How many in the so-called press is going to tell you that? I'd venture nobody. Because the Chris Salcedo Show actually believes in informing our audience rather than giving talking points issued by any political party or administration, we are being targeted by those who claim they wish to support democracy. Max Boot, a Russian-born Trump critic, wrote in the pages of the Washington Post that he's a big believer in censorship in the name of democracy. If that sounds like a contradiction, you'd be right. But to a crazed Trump hater silencing dissenting voices for having differing views than your very own makes perfect sense to them. Now, to be fair, historical figures have come to the very same conclusion. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Xi Jinping, Fidel Castro, Hugo Chavez, to name a few. They think it's perfectly normal to silence those who disagree with their left-wing views. Max Boot wrote the following in the Post. There is a whole infrastructure of incitement that will remain intact even after Trump leaves office. Just as we do with foreign terrorist groups, so with domestic terrorists, we need to shut down the influencers who radicalize people and set them on a path toward violence and sedition. Apparently, that apply to BLM folks. A Max Boot, perhaps it should be Max Jack Boot, he continued to drill down into his censorship specifics. Anyone who cherishes our democracy should be grateful to the management of Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites for their newfound sense of social responsibility. That's what liberals are now calling censorship. We should expect at least the same level of responsibility for broadcast media, and in particular from Fox News, which has the largest reach on the right. I notice Max Boot didn't call for censorship of the left's media outlets, even though they're guilty of saying outrageous and hateful things when the GOP is in charge. As we reported this week, CNN, where Mr. Boot is a fellow contributor, they began pushing for conservative media outlets and only conservative media outlets, such as Newsmax TV, to be banned from broadcast via cable distribution. So Max Boot wants to silence your liberty-loving Latino here. Now, can you imagine 
If Trump proposed shutting down liberal channels with minority anchors, what would the outcry be? They would all be saying, President Trump, a fascist and a racist. So why does Max Boot and CNN get to call for censorship of Latino voices like mine and other voices that they disagree with and not be held to that same standard? Well, that's an easy answer because the press is largely liberal and thus it's unfair. They don't believe in applying standards or the law equally. Ironically, neither does their favorite political party, the Socialist Democrats. Here at Newsmax TV, we have a lot of conservative voices. We all have our own unique angles on how to approach government, the pop culture, election integrity, and foreign policy. Being conservative, we can meet in the middle, all of us, and talk in good faith, knowing the truth is the objective we all share. Our liberal competitors, they can't make that claim. They do not seek the truth, nor do they have diverse opinions. That's why we call them collectivists. They are group thinkers and they don't have the intellect for diverse thought. That's why guys like Max Boot hate us because we will not conform. We won't adopt his narrow and thin-skinned worldview. We choose to remain diverse. And that's why they despise us and they want to silence our voices. Now, there are some words of wisdom that Jack and his buddies over at CNN probably don't have a prayer of understanding, but hey, they can Google it. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, that is if Google hasn't banned these pearls of wisdom. Here's the first. I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. The second, popular speech needs no defense. In a week where we celebrated the great Dr. Martin Luther King for saying some pretty unpopular things in his day, words that led to conflict, words that led to, yes, violence. Well, let me just say, I'm glad guys like Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, and Max Boot weren't around the 1960s trying to censor those who gave Dr. King his right to be heard, the right of American free speech. You just watched Newsmax TV, America's fast. And that was actually a great preamble. Now, well, you know, what what can we gather from that? That they're coming for you. And this is why it's very careful on how you tackle things, how you do things correctly, how you write your your letters, and how you use those bounds. It's very important that everything is done by the book. Your pen is so, so strong. And your voice is even stronger when it's done correctly. When it's done correctly. So here's what's to come. Here's what is happening. Here's what they're making happen. This is going to be very interesting. And while all of you say, I don't want to hear that, you have to. You have to listen to what they say. Because if you don't listen to what they're saying, you're not going to understand how you can remedy you, not only for the, shall we say, peaceful transfer of power, but the manner in which it happened. America united. You know, I've said again and again that the arts will bring us together. When we laugh together, we cry together, we're inspired together. We find our common ground more easily. And that was certainly given proof uh, yesterday when Amanda Gorman made her, uh, recited her beautiful, presented her beautiful poem 
about unity and about coming together. Huh. United together, we're with her, united, united. Go to unitedagainstbiden.com. Let's talk about impeachment. Let me see if it's here. My understanding is to use the Defense Production Act to speed up American people and honor our heroes. We're talking largely about executive actions, but I just mentioned that one bill, the COVID package. We also were pleased on their way to the Capitol. He called upon that is that we will be in the next few days. I had to do that night by coming right back, opening up the session of Congress, proceeding, proceeding with the business at hand. The counting of the Electoral College votes to ascertain that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were president and vice president of the United States. But that was one aspect of resilience. So many members felt their lives threatened. Uh, the uncertainty of it all contributed to the trauma. This is a, something that everyone in the country should take a measure of how they reacted to this. But I just all pray for the resilience that our country is famous for and that our people need to have as we go forward. And that one other part of that is that we will be in the next few days when I'll be talking with the managers as to when uh, the Senate will be ready for the trial of the then President of the United States for his role in instigating an insurrection on the House, on the Capitol of the United States. On the House, on the Capitol. Eight days. Remember that. On our democracy to undermine the, the will of the people. Very clear his has been on this path for a while, but that just that day, he roused the troops. He urged them on to fight like hell. He sent them on their way to the Capitol. He called upon lawlessness. He showed a path to the Capitol and the, the lawlessness took place. A direct connection in one day over and above all of the other statements, statements he had made before. So in any event, we, so he's asking, I'm not gonna be telling you when it is going, but it, we, had, we had to wait for the, president, the Senate to be in session. Eight days. They've now informed us they're ready to receive. The question is, other questions about how a trial will proceed, uh, but we, Eight are, days. we are ready. With that, I'm pleased to take any questions. What do you got, Jen? Talking about security here at the Capitol, um, and I know you're very concerned about that. Do you have any evidence, or were you briefed in any capacity about? Do you have any evidence, or were you briefed in any capacity about uh, these allegations of reconnaissance tours that uh, someone talked about? And and if there's not proof to that, uh, you know, some of your members on your side have said that some of the Republican members who were alleged to have given these have denied that they've been. As, as all of those things, as you indicate. You have to have evidence of what ha what has happened. Uh, there is no question that there were members in, in this body who gave aid and comfort uh, to those with the idea that they were embracing a lie, a lie perpetrated by the president of the United States. Eight days. That the election did not have legitimacy. These there is no legitimacy. They believe the president. The president of the United States 
Not our president. Words have weight. They weigh a ton, in fact. So that's one Eight thing. Eight days. In terms of what you suggest, everything has to be based on evidence, and th that remains to be seen. In that regard, I'm very pleased that we will have an after-action review that will review many aspects of what happened. Uh, if people did aid and abet, there will be more than just uh, comments from their colleagues here. There'll be prosecution if they aided and abetted an insurrection in which people died. But again, as Chad, as you rightfully ask, uh, that is something that you have to collect the evidence for as you proceed. Mm -hmm. Collect your evidence. I'm very excited because you asked about security here that General Russell Honore has agreed to uh, take a big view of the security here. We will have an after action review. There will be a commission, all of that. But immediately, uh, actually before the weekend, he agreed to take a look at the security infrastructure, uh, the interagency. Why do they need a security infrastructure? I mean, they're, he's president, they're in charge, they're legitimate. What are they terrified of? You have to think about that. And here's another thing you need to think about. I've talked to you about Ray a lot, Christopher Ray a lot, and they're keeping him on. <laughs> okay. So now, here's what I wanted to show you. How to deal with life's battles. Remember, we talked about Ray and what he was. But while you think of Christopher Ray, listen to this. Know thyself, know thy enemy. A thousand battles, a thousand victories. Move not unless you see an advantage. Use not your troops unless there is something to be gained. Fight not unless the position is critical. Let your plans be dark and impenetrable as the night, and when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. In the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. All warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When far away, we must make him believe we are near. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war. While defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Build your opponent a golden bridge to retreat across. When the enemy is relaxed, make them toil. When full, starve them. When settled, make them move. One may know how to conquer without being able to do it. Do not repeat the tactics which have gained you one victory, 
but let your methods be regulated by the infinite variety of circumstances. Move as swift as the wind and as closely formed as the wood. Attack like the fire and be still as the mountain. The expert in battle moves the enemy and is not moved by him. Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Engage people with what they expect. It is what they are able to discern and confirms their projections. It settles them into predictable patterns of response, occupying their minds while you wait for the extraordinary moment, that which they cannot anticipate. And this is key. It's called optics. And unfortunately, everyone is predictable. And with artificial intelligence, everyone as a collective can be predicted. Therefore, hmm, optics is important. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Be extremely subtle, even to the point of formlessness. Be extremely mysterious, even to the point of soundlessness. Thereby, you can be the director of the opponent's fate. So, who's the director of their fate right now? Think of it. Who is the director of their fate right now? These are things you need to think about. Remember, you're thinking about Ray in the back of your head, right? Think about that. If he sends reinforcements everywhere, he will everywhere be weak. Rouse him and learn the principle of his activity or inactivity. Force him to reveal himself so as to find out his vulnerable spots. The opportunity to secure ourselves against defeat lies in our own hands. But the opportunity of defeating the enemy is provided by the enemy himself. So I want you guys to know that everything that we have been discussing for three years has shown you one thing that I've been saying like a broken record. Everyone pulls their own pants down. Every single person pulls their own pants down. And here is where you see exactly what is happening. Stand back on the moon and look at DC now. It's occupied by tens of thousands of troops. We have Owen screeching. We will gut anyone who's not loyal to Biden. Biden says, I am here for all Americans, but make sure nobody likes Trump when they're around me. Nancy Pelosi says, we're going to look and see how we can maintain our security in D.C. Why? What are you doing? Why do you need to be so secure if you're doing something so righteous? We fear that they will come with weapons. No, they won't. But it's great that you fear that. It's great that you fear that. It's very great that you fear that.
Bravery without forethought causes a man to fight blindly and desperately, like a mad bull. Such an opponent must not be encountered with brute force, but may be lured into an ambush and slain. You mean a sting operation. See? That's how things like that work. So, uh, I will bid you guys goodbye for now. Hopefully, that trip down history and advising you of how important it is to maintain your still in chaos assists you in what's to come. Tomorrow, they should be making some announcements. I mean, yesterday, I knew that it was in about two days. So today, Pelosi announced that they're ready for it. So tomorrow, we'll have an announcement. Like I said, give it eight days. Give it eight days. In the meantime, I want you guys to just enjoy the show, organize, think, and do what you are empowered to do by the Constitution as long as it's still there. I don't know why It doesn't even matter how hard you try Keep that in mind I designed this rhyme to explain me to time Oh, I know Time is a Watch it come down to the end of the day, the clock takes life away. So I'm